Welcome to episode 196 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me on this occasion is contributor on site, my good friend, Rowan Cotty. Hello there, Rowan. Hello. How are you doing on this fine Sunday? I'm doing Monday? good. I'm, I'm doing good. We're recording on Sunday evening, just after the books have picked up a uh, it was ultimately a close win, but they played really well in beating the Spurs. That's a nice feeling. They had a fun win against the Bulls in their game before that. I wouldn't say it was all that good, but without Giannis, they they found a way to win in a very bizarre fashion that was thoroughly enjoyable. So I'm I'm feeling good. I mean, we're mixing things up. I I this isn't really what happened, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. it's what happened. That I just had to bench Jordan this week. You know, Jordan's Jordan's so down in the dumps about this team. He's just he's lost everything. He was a broken man. I said, you need to, you know, some time on the sidelines, recover, come back in your game. I need to get someone with some, you know, some positivity, some optimism instead. Yeah. When someone's in a shooting slump, you bench them. That's what happens, right? <laughs> well, that's certainly what happens with the books. Even if you're not in a shooting slump, sometimes you get benched. So that's what we're trying here. Jordan will be back soon. But as always, we're glad to have Ron come in and share his book's thoughts with us. We have a lot to get through this week, so we might as well get into it pretty much straight away. As I alluded to, the last two games for the books have been very much positive. A win against the Bulls without Yanis, always a good thing. Getting it done without your best player, even against a team like the Bulls positives to be taken and even more so then going and ending at what was a six game win streak for the san antonio spurs the spurs came into milwaukee really on kind of red hot form never an easy game to begin with in spite of some significant runs from the books early building up a lead san antonio did what good teams what well coached teams do and they hung around and yet the books just found a way to kind of weather the storm throughout might have been for the best that the game wasn't a minute or two longer, but hey, it's 48 minutes and they got it done. There was something a little bit different specifically about the San Antonio performance. I don't know if there's some focus for that game they brought out. Maybe we won't see it going forward, but maybe there was something for that specific game. Or if just the kind of crazy and fun Bulls win, and particularly how the bench got involved maybe helped to lift the atmosphere around the place. Could we possibly be looking at the books finding some confidence coming into the final stretch of the season? Because they've really, they've looked bereft of confidence for quite some time now. 
Yeah, it, during the game, they looked like they were having fun. There were a lot of smiles across the entire team, and that's not something you, like Bucks fans, have been accustomed to seeing over this season in general. And it couldn't come at a more perfect time with the regular season coming to an end and the playoffs starting. But I do have to agree that there is, it seems like there's confidence, and that's a good thing. I Let's see if the, it can be sustained, but right now it's there. Yeah, and I, I think there's there's a couple of things to kind of to talk about or to to observe within that. And one is Prunty from when he first came in, he was usually pretty tight and pretty pretty strict to his rotation. He didn't tend to go too deep into his rotation. Where more recently he's been airing it out a little bit, part kind of true necessity. But then anything he's found, even in those games where he had to turn to some some less frequent contributors, he seemed to show a willingness to keep them involved. I'm not saying that's necessarily always a good thing. Of course, there are times where Prunty goes maybe a little bit too far with that and he steps away from kind of a tighter rotation that he should be focusing on. Particularly at this time of the season, it's probably something we could end up talking about in a week or two as they're preparing for a playoff matchup and you're going, well, what's their playoff rotation look like? But in guys like... Shabazz Muhammad, who has started to get some more minutes, and he's just he brings energy guaranteed, and he also tends to bring points guaranteed. He's just going to go out there and he's going to play with great intensity. And what's going to come with that is what's going to come with that. Brandon Jennings, likewise, I mean, we'll probably talk a little bit more about both of them in terms of the bench in a little while, but I, I think you're seeing kind of a greater spread of responsibility maybe across the team. Yeah, and I, well, and maybe that's just doing something to keep guys more energized than they have been. Yeah, and I especially think it's helpful as the season's coming to an end because you want to have guys in their peak form as the postseason approaches. And if you can unlock more options near the end of the season and get those pieces going in the playoffs, that'll be even more handy. And to kind of just frame this back while we're kind of talking about it being the most recent game, um. That Spurs performance included some of the best books basketball I can remember seeing since probably since all the way back in the the game where they beat the Raptors, the first game back after the All-Star break. I mean, the Spurs are the second best team in the NBA in terms of defense. And the Bucks put up 41 points in them in the third quarter, which I believe was, again, the second highest scoring quarter they've had this season. So there, there was a lot of positives there. And I think beyond that, it was the first game in a long time where you had the feeling that Yanis, Middleton, and Bledsoe were all clicking. Um, all three guys shot better than 50% from the field. They were all kind of active in other areas, whether that was with assists, on the boards. Just very kind of complete performances from those three-star guys overall, which it's a reminder. Look, it's, it's not all that simple. We definitely know that at this point. But on the occasions where the books can get all of them going and get Jabari chipping in off the bench or some of the other more instant offense guys coming in and contributing. They have a lot that other teams don't necessarily have. This is one of the one of the longer running discussions or debates that we've kind of had throughout the season, but it, it's on a night like this where it becomes apparent that, you know, this is what we talk about when we talk about the books having a lots of talent. And as Eric Nay of ESPN Milwaukee tweeted during the game, 
this is the kind of game that when you hear national guys say nobody wants to see the books in the first round, we all kind of laugh at that or shrug our shoulders at this point because we know better. But that's the team. They're the kind of players. That's the performance that everyone else is imagining in that kind of scenario. Yeah, I think we as like casual Bucks, uh, actually more advanced Bucks observers, have been accustomed to actually like seeing those three talented pieces just like flounder every once in a while, just not come together. But this is like, as you're saying, this is the ideal situation. You want to see all three of those guys clicking and you want to see that collective talent actually show because this team actually has a lot of talent. And if it shows, you can actually win games. And this is this is what we expect. I think we have such low expectations of this team at some points that we don't actually realize how much like actual raw talent is on this team. But it's there, and these are games where it's apparent. Absolutely, and I think the, the thing that's worth kind of adding at that point is those expectations only crumble because of those same players. You know, they only we only I mean, have those drop-offs because that's... of the moments where if Middleton goes to a really rough patch or more recently, it's been Bledsoe who's kind of been consistently off his best. Giannis has had his kind of ups and downs with injuries of late. And it's in those sort of scenarios it stands out. And I, Look, I guess it makes sense. The wider NBA, they're not going to care so much about what the books are doing in a game where, you know, Bledsoe and Middleton both have 14 points on inefficient shooting and Giannis has whatever he usually has. Giannis is rarely the problem, but they are going to pay attention in games like this. And, you know, when I, I think the one thing like we we spend so much and this isn't just this year, it's just it's a long running books problem where we talk about, you know, issues with focus or just an inability to kind of bring their best night to night. And then you look at a game like this. I mean, the books problems are generally starting halves and then against a good team in a kind of big game sold out arena, they outscores Spurs by 12 points in the first quarter and 13 points in the third quarter. So that's the opposite of what we associate with the books. Okay, we could talk about how they finish both halves, but there is something there to, you know, that was a game where they decided, okay, intensity from opening tip, from the moment both halves start. The question still is there of, well, if they get to the playoffs and they can just switch that on, that's that's something to be excited about or intrigued about, at least. It's not the best place to be where you're in that, can they flip the switch? This is where the Cavs find themselves every year. The Cavs still find themselves right now in terms of defense. But there are parallels in the regard of the books have, you know, a really incredible individual talent, and they have very, very good supporting players around them. It's whether just some of those issues can disappear just with the extra meaning that playoff basketball brings. Time will tell. We're not too far away from finding out. What I want to kind of move into now, we touched on it briefly and some of the reasons for their confidence. But the last kind of... I mean, the last week has been a pretty big week for the books bench. Okay, there's one game more than any other that was the the main source of that against the Bulls. They had a season-high 70 bench points. That was 21 from Shabazz Muhammad, 18 from Tony Snell. That was 18 on perfect shooting. 6-6 six six from the field, 4-4 four four from deep, 2-2 two two from the line. 16 for Brandon Jennings, 10 for Jason Terry, 5 for Ton Maker. That's 
unbelievable, really. I mean, the Bucks are a team averaging 26 bench points per game on the season. So the idea of a 70-point bench game is kind of absurd. It's not something you're going to get on a nightly basis. We know that. And particularly with the guys, the kind of players delivering that, Shabazz Muhammad, Brandon Jennings in particular, it could be, you know, it could be 9 of 12 as Shabazz Muhammad was on that occasion, or it could be 2 for 12 another night. Is there something there, though, at least with the books bench? Well, what I was kind of thinking and watching, not just that game, some some moments, Shabazz Muhammad came in and had a pretty successful burst against the Spurs as well. And it kind of gives me a feeling that the books have just random bench guys at the moment, random instant offense guys. I will not lie and say they're my favorite kinds of players, but they're the kind of players that every now and then some team will have some super random guy come out and have a really big playoff game, turn a playoff game. The Bucks, particularly with Mirza being out injured, had kind of been lacking guys like that in the second unit this year. There are now some contenders. Okay, they might take them out of playoff games, but I think they've got some guys who, if it's just your night, could turn a playoff game. Is that something that kind of piques your interest as we approach the playoffs, particularly with the hope that, you know, Brogdon and Delhi will be back in that mix too. Yeah, I think they just got like more Michael Beasley's, but they it's as you were saying, that's a good thing. You were saying uh Brogdon and Delhi coming back could that factor in, but I don't think they're necessarily like guys that can just they're not instant offense guys. That's Shabazz Muhammad in particular. Uh, let me use him as an example. He has been going off, and I, I know Marcus Johnson has been tweeting about it and they said it on air that he's been working and getting himself back into shape, which is maybe why we didn't see him like a lot when he first signed. And now that he's back into shape, it seems like, okay, he can actually play and he's not like, you know, one of the worst players in the league. And, you know, this would be good in a playoff game. Let's say, let's say they play Boston, for example, if their defense is getting too much, they just need an instant offense, that guy that can just come in there and score a bunch of points and maybe tip the scales. And it's, it's nice to have, and I think, I'm, I don't think you can necessarily count on it, but it's there, and you can always, hopefully, Prunty can take them out if they're just floundering around out there. But, you know, that's not like a given. But it's, it's another piece to the puzzle, which, yeah, it can be very helpful, I think, is what I'm trying to say. I think. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting you mentioned Beasley to begin with because it's probably easy to forget now, but I mean, Beasley's season was effectively cut short. I'm trying to think, was he actually, did he come back for the playoffs at all? He, he had a bad injury around that time. He was never quite the same uh, from very shortly after Jabari was injured last season. Oh, they didn't have that kind of guy to produce at the high level that Beasley produced early last season when the playoffs came around last year. So there's certainly something there. I mean, you're you're right in terms of the the Brogdon Delvadova being different guys. I didn't mean as much as in that kind of regard, as much as just further bolstering and maybe even freeing up a guy like Shabazz Muhammad to come in. You know, if if Delhi or Brogdon are out there, maybe you're plugging more of the holes that a uh, Shabazz Muhammad's going to to naturally give you when he's on the floor. And I think that's what's interesting about him and Jennings. I'm gonna do something that will probably please a lot of listeners quite a lot. I'm going to give Brandon Jennings some credit right now. What? Yeah, you, you heard me right. <laughs> this doesn't apply in the same way for Shabazz Muhammad, but I feel confident it will over time. Jennings is 
a pretty significant negative for the books when he's on the court in terms of his plus minus, his net rating. Those things aren't very good. That was expected, at least from me. I think from you too. Last time you yes. were up, we talked yes. on these lines. Well, Jennings is doing very well, and he deserves credit for his shooting the ball. He's shooting the ball much better than I expected. He's shooting 48.4% from the field, 37.5% from deep so far. If he can keep shooting at those kind of rates, you know, you might just you might just live with some of the losses you're going to take when when those kind of guys come in. Now, there's no reason to believe that you know a book's playoff rotation will stretch deep enough for either of those guys, but you don't know what happens. You don't know what you need to turn to. You don't know what kind of injuries or what adjustments get made. Just having someone who could score points at the moment, if he shoots that efficiently, it's worth something though. Now, whether he can keep that that shooting up. That's a different question. He's had he's had red hot games and he's had poor games and we've kind of balanced out somewhere in the middle. It'll be interesting to see if he is signed till the end of the season, which I'd expect him to be at the end of this 10-day, what kind of Brandon Jennings there is. But when you look at what he's giving at the moment, in spite of the Bucks defense just being a complete disaster when he's on the court, you know, the Bucks defense is not all that good to begin with. And when you get to second unit lineups and Giannis may be sitting, they were having problems scoring as well. So there is just something, if he's shooting efficiently, in going and keeping the scoreboard ticking over. It might just increase the chances. It's not gonna be it's not gonna be the kind of lineup you turn to to swing the game in your favor, but it might just be a lineup where you won't have as much damage if when he's playing well as you would without someone like that, because if you've got poor defense and no offense, that's a problem. Um, Shabazz, so far, his minutes have been incredibly positive. I mean, his plus minus is, in his very short sample size, is leading the team very comfortably. But that is going to tail off, and I, I feel there's a similar thing. Maybe the biggest difference, though, and the thing that I think Muhammad deserves the most credit for so far is his effort is incredible. He just works so, so hard. And it is interesting when you mention, like Marcus Johnson has spoken about, he was having to work his way back to shape. I would have been skeptical to that before watching him as closely as we've got to recently, because you can really see just how in shape you'd have to be to play the way he's trying to play. I can't pretend that I've watched every Shabazz Muhammad game for a long time and know if that was his energy level with Minnesota. I know, for example, Timberwolves fans are constantly tweeting already about how many assists he's having in Milwaukee when that just didn't happen with Minnesota. But either way, he's a guy who knows, hey, I've got to make the most of this. If it's not with the books, you know, maybe it's another team, but he's playing to stay in the league right now. And he's bringing an intensity that, you know, could be contagious. Brandon Jennings also playing to stay in the league. I don't know if either of those guys were the best options or the best ways for the books to use those roster spots, but what can be said is that you know they're both bringing an intensity that other guys in the roster have been missing. If it ultimately rubs off, you know it it could be worth even a lot of the negatives that come with them. Yeah, plus they're both uh, they're both especially Brandon Jennings. They're both veteran players, and that is very useful on a team like Milwaukee. I mean, sure they may not be the best veterans. We can. As you said, maybe they weren't the best options. Sure, whatever, they're on this team. But 
like yeah they're they're veterans they can score they can they can bring a certain intensity and that is very very valuable to a team like milwaukee we've seen already i mean i guess jason terry is an outlier but we've seen what players like jason terry can do on this milwaukee team and it's very very positive if brandon jennings and shabazz muhammad can be anything close to what jason terry brings to this team it will be very very good yeah uh, i have no arguments at all on that i think another player who probably deserves a mention if we're talking about recent bench impact is ton maker and never thought it's never, never thought i'd hear that it's not all good right we're not let's not pretend that it's not all good it's not all fixed there's still plenty there that's not all that ideal i would still say tyler zeller should be getting his minutes but we have at least seen spells of play or kind of games here or there where you go okay ton is doing something positive recently and it had started to look like we just weren't going to get those games at all particularly on the defensive end there's just been a few plays of late there was the play where he kind of shadowed jr smith and blocked them that was unlike anything we'd seen since last year's playoffs from ton that was kind of encouraging um he had a couple of plays against the spurs as well and against the bulls there's just something there that I hadn't seen for quite a while. Not doing it with the kind of consistency you'd hope for or that he necessarily managed at times last year. But considering, I guess, the low ebb we are coming off of, there's there's some good there, you know? There's there's plenty to, to be encouraged by relative to what we had seen. One to keep an eye on, and I don't think they should lean too much into it or they'll be disappointed. Moving on, I want to talk about some other guys who are part of part of the bench recently, but you know, it's not very consistent. I, I'm saying they're part of the bench. They're part of the bench one day, part of starting lineup the next. I'm talking about Tony Snell, Jason Terry, Sterling Brown, those kind of guys. Joe Prunty has looking for answers, fallen into what was one of Jason Kidd's absolute favorite tricks of just Okay, that wasn't great. Let's just keep changing the starting lineup. <laughs> I really have problems with this. I'm not getting overly worked up about it at the moment because the books have been really bad at times where I'm like, okay, if he's trying things, he's trying things. I understand why he'd want to do that or the need to do that. But there's just... There's issues with it. Tony Snell, I think, is the best example, right? If we go yeah. to Tony Snell... Perfect, literally a perfect game. 22 minutes against the Bulls, 18 points. As I earlier, six of six from the field, four of four from three, two of two from the free throw line. No other stats in very Tony Snell fashion. Uh, a plus 13. You come to the Spurs game, you're switching up the starting lineup again. And he brings Jason Terry back in. He did. <laughs> I don't get it. I, no, I, I really don't understand that either. It's. Maybe he was like, oh, he shot perfect from the field when he was on the bench. Let's keep him there. Maybe it'll happen again. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the only explanation I can really think of. I, I see that. and I, I think that's what they've tried to do with Snell in particular a few times before. Snell's numbers off the bench have actually been quite good. What's harder for me to track and give you the evidence of, but I, I know from having this reaction every time it's happened is, it's the games in between. It's the games where Snell's role is like it's pivoting from one to the other that have been really bad for him. If you give him a consistent run on the bench, okay, he's going to be pretty solid. 
if you give him a consistent run as a starter, he's going to be pretty solid. It's when he's on the bench for three games and then he could be starting for three games. It's somewhere in the midst of all that. You lose a lot of kind of a lot of his rhythm or a lot of the things that you normally rely on him for. Jordan and I talked about this on I don't know exactly when. I'll say an episode in the last three weeks, maybe even two weeks. Something noticeable about Snell's play of late has been his defense had dropped off and it has started to pick up again recently. And that's a really important thing for Snell. When you see his defensive intensity in terms of guarding guys man-to-man, going and taking on some of the best players in the opposing team, that's what we associated with Snell last year. And I, I think that's when he's most locked in He's going to be doing that in defense, and he'll go down and do his best work on the offensive end, too. Snell has been getting quite a lot of criticism from Bucks fans, I feel, of late. But the lineup change made no sense to me because his numbers have really taken a turn for the better. Um, Over his last 20 games, he's just below 40%, 39.7% from deep. He is 41.5% last 15, last 10, 457 Obviously, that perfect game is skewing quite a lot of that. But, I mean, 15, 20 games, they're decent sample sizes. You're talking 3.5, three-point attempts per game, right at 40%. For the season overall, he's shooting 41.4%. When people get on Tony Snell's case, I don't know what they're expecting from Tony Snell because he was paid his contract to be a good defender and a 40% three-point shooter. That's not always easy to maintain, but on the whole, he's actually doing it. It's when you're switching out Jet for Snell. I think Jet is Jet is great because Jet's reliable in whatever role you put him in, you're going to get the same thing. And he has the experience to take that in his stride. But when you're doing that and Snell may take a knock off of it or Sterling Brown comes in for a single game when his play recently has been, I mean, pretty spotty at best too. It's in that kind of area where, you know, it, it becomes unconvincing. I guess the one thing we haven't even touched on here is Jabari. Jabari got a single start, and then he's out of the lineup again. There's a lot of Bucks fans saying, well, is this not the time where you go to Jabari? Do they not see what they've got with Jabari as a starter? I'm not as bothered with that, because maybe Jabari is a key piece of his team long-term, but isn't necessarily a starter. You know, Maybe he's a guy who plays 34 minutes a night, but doesn't start. Starting isn't all that important in that regard. What I'm a little bit more concerned with is, you know, the playoffs are very close. Yes, they are. I think they're, what is it, 20 days? Eight, yeah. 19 days? Right. Uh, depending on, you know, you could always be that team who ends up having like a 36-hour turnaround from end of the regular season to start of the playoffs or two-day turnaround. <laughs> that could be the books, right? Yeah. You could get that early Saturday. Particularly, you're going to, there's always, the playoffs always start in Toronto at like, 12 p.m. Eastern on a Saturday. I feel like that's something they do. <laughs> on NBA TV. Right. There's a very good chance that could be the books. Like I mentioned earlier, it's very, it's not even very difficult. It's impossible to have any idea of what the books playoff rotation would look like right now. But you'd like to think you'd know what their starting five is. Do you think when the chips are down, Pronti will just go back to Snell and it will be the group we've seen for most of the season? And then if that's the case, I mean, what are, what are we doing here at the moment? What is he, what is he trying to show us? I, I, actually, I think that when the playoffs roll around, it will be Tony Snell in the starting lineup. I can't really answer that second part about what he's doing here. Maybe he's just trying to throw off opposing coaches saying, hey, 
I'm there. Here's a bunch of nonsense. That's interesting. Makes- I don't. Did you did you see the detail? Mafalaskas at the Journal Sentinel reported before the Spurs game. I don't. Did you see his tweet on this? I don't. Uh, I don't think I did. Basically, when asked who, Yanis was obviously returning to the starting lineup. When asked who the other starter would be out of the kind of cast rotating guys, Prunty told the media he had decided, but he wasn't going to share. And that was interesting to me because that's what that felt like. Is this a like? Is he trying to trick Pop? not starting Tony Snell. I'm not sure what that does, but it's not a very common, it's not a common move in basketball. That happens in other sports. Coaches will look to do that. There are, I guess, in-game things, strategy things that you won't want to show opposing coaches, particularly if you're going to play them in the playoffs. But lineups, messing with lineups like that is very unusual. I just, I found that an interesting quote. Maybe I'm looking into it too much because I'm trying to figure out what exactly is going on with his lineups. But I don't know. There's something that's not quite adding up. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, Prunty is a pop disciple, so pop is notoriously, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily strategy, but he plays coy with the media. But I don't I don't necessarily think it's in that respect. But I don't know, maybe he is actually trying to hide his strategy. I, I mean, the I two know. longest I, 10 years, I feel confident in saying this, of his NBA career have come under pop and under Jason Kidd. Very different coaches, but if they have one thing in common, it can be having a little bit of fun with the way they work their lineups or the way they share their lineups, if nothing else. So maybe, maybe that's just how he thinks it's done. I don't I, maybe he thinks he's being funny. I don't really know. No, I don't. The one thing Joe Pronti isn't giving us, thankfully, is that thing where we're going. Was that a was that a joke or was that as passive aggressive as it seems? I don't know. Um, Let's let's move it on a little bit. Um, I thought that Tony Snell has had a resurgence of late. Not getting enough credit is Chris Middleton. Uh, I know it's it's been a very popular season to rain on Chris Middleton. I can't pretend that Chris Middleton hasn't hasn't had me right on the verge of being out on him this season. You know, there's it's been some yeah. really really rough spells and games where you're going, just what's going on? Chris Middleton isn't just playing his best basketball of the season coming toward the playoffs. He's playing really, really good basketball. Against the Spurs, that was evident with his defense, particularly in the passing lanes early on. I mean, the books got out to a great start, mostly behind Middleton. But his numbers are true to roof. I mean, there's no way anyone, even the most ardent of Chris Middleton haters, and there are plenty of them out there, could have complaints about what Middleton's been doing more recently. I mean, the last 20 games, 20.3 points on 48.8 from the field, 41.2 from three, 90.2 from the free throw line. So you're just 1.2% on the field goal percentage below 50, 40, 90 with over 20 points for his last 20 games. Add into that 4.9 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.7 steals, uh, 2.4 turnovers working against that. I mean, even more recently, he's gone off 22.8 points on 50.6 from the field and 53.3 from deep in his last five games. Middleton played well in the latter part of last year too. Obviously he didn't have a front half of last season because of the injury. And you know, there were, there were ups and downs still last year, but he he did have a strong spell at a similar kind of time. Yeah. How important or, or what do you see as the potential impact if he can keep some of this up over the next month, we'll say. 
if it's over the next month, like into the playoffs, it's. I think you. It's more of like you have like the second option, like that you can rely upon. I mean, obviously, he's never going to be on Giannis's level of like, uh, uh, performance on the court, but he will be a reliable second option for the team if they're like constantly doubling Giannis or they're just Giannis is in foul trouble. It's just like once Giannis is out, if he's out of the equation, how can this team react? And it's like, oh, they can be led by Chris Middleton. And he's been showing recently that he can actually perform in big games against good teams. And it's... I never, I never bother. I'm <laughs> no, I'm just, I don't I'm have to, ever I'm talked about this. I'm, trying, so I'm glad you I'm brought it please, up. I'm trying to please the crowd that... Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just air my thoughts out of this because I feel like there's one flaw in that logic. Should every player not put up better numbers against worse teams? Is that not the idea of them being worse teams? Is it easier to put up numbers? I've I've literally never got to bring this up. I keep forgetting. I'm so glad you said that. But I, I understand that. I see there might be some evidence that, you know, basketball player plays better against teams that aren't quite as good. <laughs> but it's just that's one that truly baffles me. I'd be more particularly with the way the books play, I'd almost be more concerned if his numbers were so much better against good teams than they were against bad teams. I'd be like, okay, you need to you need to take these bad teams seriously. Is that not just what he should be doing, playing better against <laughs> lesser teams? I don't know. When they're good teams, you should be able to go off for 50. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the, I think the one thing... Sorry to cut across. I'll, I'll let you come no, back in fine. a second. But the one, the one thing you mentioned there... Um, the idea of if Giannis is on the bench or if Giannis isn't quite firing, Middleton stepping up into that kind of larger role, I, I'm actually less interested in that. And that's some of the least enjoyable Middleton moments you're going to get. What I think is if he can keep playing like this, it's like you see in the Spurs game where it wasn't just him, it was also Bledsoe played well. It's it's again raising that possibility that we talked about the start of the, start of the episode where it's like, you know, well, what do the books look like if everyone gets firing? There was even a good spell against the Spurs where we had Yanis, Middleton, Jabari together, and they really got rolling. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is this is interesting. This, this is, is what we all imagine. These are, these are good basketball moments from the Milwaukee Bucks. Good basketball moments, fun to watch. That kind of interesting. Obviously, you need them to prop up the bench. That's something that's going to happen when Yanis sits. But... I'd be more interested in, you know, Bucks lineups when Yanis is on the floor and Middleton is on the floor and Jabari's on the floor or Bledsoe's on the floor, just blowing teams away. And then we can deal with, you know, oh, Yanis is on the bench. There's a bit of a drop off. I think part mm-hmm. of the problem is For sure. if you're if you're not making the most of the minutes when all of your best players are on the floor, then you're asking Middleton to do more than you ideally want them to do when Yanis is on the bench. Yeah, for sure. I completely understand what you're saying. My my talk of just like Middleton being a second option is usually like uh, in the playoffs per se. It sort of devolves into like star on star basketball at times. And in those situations, if Giannis is not able to be on the court, how can Chris Middleton perform? Because, yeah, you're right. As a team, they can definitely blow out other teams if they're all clicking like they were. But in those situations where it's sort of like, okay, Giannis, here's the ball, do everything. Uh, oh, wait, you can't? Okay, Chris Middleton, here's the ball, do everything. And, I mean, I kind of cringe a little. Marcus Johnson said this in the broadcast during the Bulls game. He was saying he'd like to see the books go 
go ISO a little bit more with Chris Middleton. And I oh, yeah. just yeah. I naturally recoiled at that. But there will be a time and place for that in the playoffs. You know, mm-hmm. that, that is something express. that you're going to... There will be times where you have to go into that in the playoffs as much as people don't like it. And having a guy who can actually do that well is better than not having that guy at all. There's a reason why Joe Johnson still exists come playoff time. You know, why like last year, Joe Johnson is way past the point where he should be having any major role in the playoffs. He was incredible for the Jazz in the playoffs last year because if the game slows down, if it becomes harder to beat a defense, having a guy you can go, okay, let's put you a shooting guard. Let's have you post up the two, back them down, and you're confident enough and well practiced enough with your fadeaway that you can find a shot when the offense isn't really functioning. There will be a time for that as much as none of us like it. Yeah. I'm very, very optimistic. If if Middleton if Middleton can keep this going, it, it would be one of the biggest things for me to turn my current feeling about the books around heading into the playoffs. Uh, and look, to be very clear on that, I mean the books have <laughs> the books have dug a hole for themselves. They're they're going to be up against. They're going to be the underdogs, and even a really great book series likely ends up going out in the first round now, just because of who they're going to end up playing. And they have no one but themselves to blame for that. But going from a place, and it's still easy to see where you know we could be going. The books could easily get swept in a first round series. Could still happen. But if you could get Middleton playing at this level and carry that into the playoffs and Yanis is playing as he is, get some of the other guys back healthy, you get to a place where we can forget about the regular season. And if it's game one in Toronto, it can be like last year. We're like, okay, this is a fresh slate. If you can go win game one, this is interesting. And I think at this point, that's the most we can ask for is that the books get themselves in a place that when they start a playoff series, the defense just isn't completely crumbling. They're not losing by 22 points in game one. I think Bucks fans just want to see a series again, see them be competitive. And from there, you take your chances. From there, you go, okay, well, we've got Giannis. Who knows what can happen? But they have to get to that spot where they're going to be competitive and be in it to have a chance to begin with. Yeah, for sure. And especially like this year, like comparing it to last year where Toronto just figured out Jason Kidd's defense, they can't really do that this year. So that's another thing they wouldn't have going for them. I mean, they've already figured it out. It's still there. It's, yeah, it's, I mean... It's, it's still there, and they've, they've already figured it out. But the, the books, I mean, they've, they lost an overtime game against the Raptors, and they won an overtime game against the Raptors. Mm-hmm. They've played the Raptors well this year, and it's been a very different look for Toronto with Bledsoe there. Now with Jabari, like there, there are things that the Raptors haven't really seen. For all of the things they had figured out from last year, there are also things that there are still relatively fresh looks. And even having an idea on kind of from watching film, actually seeing player X and player Y going head to head with each other is something that still has to play out. There, there's also, I mean, I don't want to get too, you know, I'll do, I'll move it on to our next section because I don't want to get too into the Raptors now. Um, because the next section is going to determine whether we're worrying about the Raptors or the Celtics or the Cavs or possibly the Sixers. Who knows? I want to look around the rest of the East Road. Um, Let's do it. As we record, pretty important game going on for the Bucks' playoff situation. The Heat are on the road in Indianapolis. 
with 10 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, they are trailing the Pacers 84-81, which all in all would be a pretty good result for the books. Um, if that was to stand by the time we finish this, by the time all of you are listening to this, the books will be back in seventh. Looking up at the Wizards, who play the Knicks, and I mean, I'm not going to get too excited yet, Rohan, but they are also losing to the Knicks right now in the second quarter. They're down 40-34 halfway through the second quarter. Unlikely as it is, you know, a night where if the Heat and the Wizards are to lose those games, all of a sudden the gap is closed. For me, I think, okay, the Pacers aren't quite out of reach because they've got some potentially tough games. The Pacers are going to be tough to catch. That's kind of that's kind yeah. of done. And when I even mention the Pacers, I'm not thinking of it as the Bucks potentially being a five seed. That ship has sailed. The best case for the Bucks is they get to six and they don't lose their pick this year. And I don't know. There's probably debate to be had on that. Is it better to get to six to play LeBron in the first round? Or would you rather be at seven and possibly play a Kyrie Irving, less Celtics? Oh, give me seven every day. Seven and you're losing the pick this year. Oh, shoot. Oh, I mean, I there's a case for that, though, too, because you lose oh, the pick this year, it's out of the way. It's done. So yeah. then you can trade picks again. You have more flexibility going forward. Yeah. And then you can actually possibly win a first-round series. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think that will be tough because of the possibly, coaching. Possibly. But... I don't know. I, at the moment, I'm very much undecided. I see the pros and cons to both sixth and seventh. Um, I'd like to think that they'll have a draft pick, and we can think about that and talk about that because that's that's more fun than some of the other stuff you do throughout the season. Until they make the pick, and then we have to deal with <laughs> the realities <laughs> of that. But yeah, there are definite pros to well. Okay, if they lose the pick now, it's out of the way, and then they're back to being able to trade future picks, which. Not necessarily the business you should get into, but if the books want to upgrade the roster, it's the game they're going to have to get into. Yeah, that in itself is an interesting debate. It's still up for grabs, though, that they could be either of those spots, six or seven, or of course, very much in play that they could finish eight. Let's take a look at the schedules coming in. So the Heat after their Pacers game, which will be finished by the time all you hear this, they are home to the Cavs, home to the Bulls, home to the Nets, home to the Hawks. Very friendly four-game homestand. I mean, okay, you've got the Cavs, and then you've got three teams who, at the moment, are very much focused on the lottery. They hit the road from there to play the Hawks again, then the Knicks, before finishing the season at home to the Thunder and the Raptors. Even that that final game is the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors will likely have everything secured, one seed. You know, they'll only be playing guys if they want to play them at that point. Mm-hmm. Maybe not playing them the regular minutes, just keeping them kind of fresh and ticking over so they're not rusty either. What's your feeling on the Heat's schedule coming in? It's tough to see them uh, falling I mean, off too much there, right? Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn will probably... I don't. I think Brooklyn could beat them. Brooklyn's a fun team. Uh, I think they lose I, one of one of the back to back with the home and home with the Hawks. They'll lose one of those two games. It's 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 difficult to see the Hawks winning any games, but uh, so that's why I'm I'm inclined to disagree with you there. But also I get what you're saying. I still I think the Thunder beat them. 
because they'll still be in they the, have things to play for, right? Yeah, Toronto has will have nothing to play for in their last game. They already have the franchise record and wins. They'll have the one seed locked up. Uh, Chicago. See, that's difficult. A lot of these teams are just jockeying for lottery position. I mean, if it goes to kind of the script, it's even if we're generous in assuming the Raptors played a proper team to finish out the season. I mean, you're looking probably three losses realistically. Five wins to counteract that. So five and three finish. Which Yeah. Not ideal for the Bucks. I mean, it's not ideal. It's not particularly if if they do lose that Pacers game, the Bucks will be ahead of them. It's about the Bucks maintaining that advantage. They don't have the tiebreaker on the heat. So they would have to be ahead of them outright in terms of record. You're looking at the Bucks finishing similarly to come in. It's not impossible, you know. It would require a good road trip in the coming week for the books, but hey, with the, some of the Warriors' problems, that's not impossible. Let's move over to the Wizards. After their game with the Knicks finishes, they are home to the Spurs, on the road to the Pistons, home to the Hornets, on the road to the Bulls, Rockets, Cavs, home to the Hawks and Celtics, and they finish up on the road to the Magic. This one's a little bit more interesting. It is, particularly with John Wall having practice. Mm -hmm. And so considering things that were said (laughs) while he was absent and everything, Mm -hmm. there'll be things to figure out and there'll be kind of dynamics issues. And aside from that, I mean, Spurs are a good team. Yes. Rockets, obviously, the best team in the league right now. On the road to the Cavs as well, it's tough. Celtics. And then they have more of the games where, you know, okay, the Pistons and the Hornets, not playoff teams. They're not just completely awful, though. No, Kemba's been going off for Charlotte. Detroit still believes they have a chance for some reason. So they're going to be playing hard. It's... It's yeah, a kind maybe. of matchup as well where, you know, Andre Drummond against Marcin Gortat could have a really big game. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think there's there's potential for the Wizards to fall back a little bit. Yeah. All this would still be reliant on a strong books finish. Pacers, I mean, the Pacers schedule sounds more difficult than it probably will turn out to be, mostly because of um, the Warriors' injuries. But to run through their schedule after the Heat game... Next up, they're on the road to the Warriors, on the road to the Kings, on the road to the Clippers, on the road to the Nuggets. They return home to play the Warriors, on the road to the Raptors, on the road to the Hornets, home against the Hornets. I mean, the first thing and most obvious thing is they've got two home games remaining after today. They're pretty much on the road to finish the season, which, okay, that's a variable in its own right. But they are pretty comfortably ahead of the books. Yeah, it's what are they at? They're three games ahead of the Bucks right now. It's three games ahead of the Bucks, and they are still ahead. We might get to the end of that uh, Pacers Heat game by the time <laughs> we finish. They're they're still ahead in that game. Potentially going to extend that advantage. It feels like there's too much. They they're going to have to really fall off, and the Bucks will have to kind of surprise us with how many games they win coming in for it to ultimately be a factor. Yeah, and I'm still I'm ever impressed with Indiana season, and it's yeah, it's going to be tough for Milwaukee to catch them, and I don't really think it'll happen. Considering 
what we've just looked at. I should probably look to finish this off. We'll we'll go through and remind everyone of the book schedule if they're not already familiar. Uh, the books close out the season. They're hitting the road at the moment. Next up will be the Clippers on the road, then Warriors on the road, then Lakers on the road, Nuggets on the road, back home for the Celtics and Nets, on the road to the Knicks, home to the Magic, on the road to the Sixers. With all of that considered, where do you think the books finish? Sixth, seventh, or eight? I'm going to say seventh. I, I think it's starting to look like the most likely one. I mean, eight may realistically be most likely just because you feel like the books may still throw some surprises in there. This is the week that will decide it because if they can get through and have a really good road trip, I mean, if they could go three and one on the trip. I think they can go four and on the trip if they really tried. They're going to lose one. You know, the, the one could be the Lakers. And I mean, the Lakers are pretty frisky at the moment. Lakers if, are if they could go, if like they could go three and one on the trip, I think that's... That's pretty positive for what we'd expect. And then you're looking at a remaining schedule where home against this home against a depleted Celtics team. And then your only other game against a really kind of good opponent is last game of the season against the Sixers. Again, who knows how much they'll care about things at that point with their really soft schedule. Yeah, I think they can actually clinch tonight if Indiana wins. I would imagine they'll probably have clinched I mean, I, I think the only chance that they may have something to really fire them up and be playing for on that occasion is if they're playing to secure the third seed. Yeah. Which is oh, a play. Okay. And I mean, that's probably something we're not considering, but <laughs> we talked about getting to getting to six and keeping your pick and playing LeBron. Getting six could be playing the Sixers. So, yeah, some, some stuff to play out. I think I'd go with you at the moment. I think seven is where, where I'm looking at. But it's it's not impossible to get to six. Certainly not impossible they fall to eight. We'll keep an eye and see how it all pans out. Okay, before we wrap up, let's first start out catching up with Jack Bauer. We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Okay, Ron Jordan's not here, but he has provided me with the official update. He is the official scorer when it comes to tracking 24-second shot violations forced by the books. Jack Bowers, as we term them. Last week, our total was 56. The books have added three more over the past seven days. They have three, nine Jack Bowers now. Not oh, going pretty... to get to Jordan's 70 pace, I don't think, either, but... Yeah, it's it's a decent week. I mean, they play the Nuggets. They might. I mean, not the Nuggets. Uh, they play Lakers. Lakers have been very good yeah. to the books in terms of twenty-four second shot clock violations. Yeah, Lakers, Golden State, with all their injuries, playing G League guys. Maybe I don't know. Three this week is pretty decent. That's like an average of one one a game. Right. Uh, might have four in our week, so just a little bit below. That. Oh, oh wait, yeah. Whoops, yeah, I can't count. It's, it's close. It's yeah. close. We'll give it to them. Almost. Trust um, me, I think I'm sort of smart. <laughs> let's let's move on to predictions. The week ahead. This road trip that we've just kind of built up. Starting out on, I think it's Tuesday. They visit Staples Center to play the Clippers. Obviously, only recently played and lost the Clippers this week. Do you see the books getting that one back on Tuesday? What kind of game are you expecting in this one? 
Um, let's see. They don't have a lot of time in between games, so maybe LA Nightlife won't hinder them too much. So, uh, I think the Bucks can pull this game out. I'm going to say Bucks by seven. I'm also optimistic about this one. Um, I'm going to go Bucks by Bucks by nine. Nine, okay. Got, got a good feeling. I, I, the two teams are a lot closer than obviously the home game looked for large spells, but the way the Bucks have played in the two games since would be encouraging to me. So yeah, I think that will be a game again where the books will bring their focus because it's the first game of the road trip. Mm. You're right. They don't have a whole lot of time. They don't have a whole lot of time on this whole trip. So some of the mid-season trips they've had in the past, the infamous strip club trip, um, some of the effects of them may not quite come into come into play for the books. So let's be optimistic on that one. Thursday then. The Warriors. Kevin Durant. Yes. Probably not not back still. No, I don't I don't believe he'll be back. It's not within the two week timetable for him to be reevaluated. I mean, uh Draymond has some sort of flu at the moment. You'd imagine that will have cleared up, but will it have the Meh, we don't know. They're they're pretty much locked into the second seed. They are, and that, that is an interesting thing. But there's a there is a real thing with momentum at this time of year as well. That's I don't true. know. Clay, Clay Thompson's going to be out as well. I mean, mm-hmm. and Steph Curry's going to be out. Steph is obviously with his out, latest yeah. MCL injury. Right. I, we were deciding it for ourselves. I'll speak for myself first, but I, I'm going books. I mean, how can you? Yeah. Yeah. Gotta believe in the books in this one. I don't think it'll be particularly close. I'm going books by. I'm not that confident. I'm going books by six. What, what do you? What do you think it's going to be? I'm going to say books by fifteen. 15 in Oracle. I did. There's like no one on that team. <laughs> yeah, I, we were, you're going to live to regret that. But. I think I could play on that team and no one would notice. Okay, maybe not. It's already, yeah. already going to come back to bite us now. You know, it's okay. I've had plenty of bad takes in the past. It's fine. Second out of a back-to-back. <laughs> the books are back in Staples to play the Lakers. What's your prediction? Um, I think this game will be really close. The Lakers are, I think, they're one of my like favorite teams outside of the realm of Milwaukee, and I'm really, I'm a, I'm a fan of what they've been building there, and they've been playing really well, as you mentioned earlier. I still think the Bucks could pull this one out. I'm gonna say Bucks by three. I also agree with it being very close. I think this is the one they drop. I, I think if we're talking oh. about them dropping a game this week, I think it's this one, second night of a back-to-back against a young team that pushes pace. Um, they'll play with intensity. I'm going to go Lakers by one. It could be in quite dramatic fashion. I think we're going to get a close one. We got a uh, Kyle Kuzma buzzer beater. Maybe, maybe. On Sunday, then, they'll finish up the trip with a game in Mile High City. I can't, I can't remember now. I believe it's the highest altitude court in the NBA. It might actually be Utah, though. I don't know. No, no. Denver's first, Utah's second. Okay. I'm pretty sure. How do you feel they're going to deal with that? Obviously, the Nuggets Not are well. desperately clinging to their playoff hopes right now, even though by the time that game comes around, that may be almost a ship that has sailed. Yeah, I think I don't think the Bucks will fare too well in this game, especially like the last time they played the Nuggets, they put up 134. 
and Jokic has been a problem generally for the books. Yeah, and I don't really see that necessarily changing. I think this will be the game that if they drop one, this will be this game. So I'm going to say Nuggets by eight. Eight. Yeah, eight sounds good. I, I think they're going to get through it. Uh, it's, that's not confidence built on anything other than me blindly hoping that maybe the books <laughs> have found something are going to take the end of the regular season seriously. And I'm going to say books by five. Bucks by five? Okay. I think the Nuggets would be in like desperation mode by this point. Yeah, I mean, for plenty of reasons. Mike Malone will have them playing desperately, trying to save his job, I'd imagine. But yeah, we'll we'll see how all of that plays out. In the meantime, that is it for us for now, though. We'll provide all of our reactions to the game throughout the week. We won't have our usual Friday podcast this week. There will be no second part of the week, which unfortunately means no mailbag this week. Um, just with the thursday friday back to back on west coast time it's it's not an option for us this week it it won't happen so we'll be back as usual next monday you'll be able to hear from us and we'll be back into a regular rhythm from there for as long as that's you know relevant playoffs coming up who knows what that what that leads to we'll figure all of that out at the time in the meantime though make sure that you Keep reading all of our books work. Mine, Rowan's, Jordan's, the rest of the teams at BehindTheBookPass.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Win6Podcast. And we'll be back with you next week. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you, Rowan. Thank you.